0: Please be seated. That is one of the, might be my favorite song about God's word, how beautiful it is, how God has not left us just to guess in this world, but he's given us his perfect word to follow. And I always look forward to this time of the service. I hope you do as well. I would ask, if it's your habit to pray for the church And pray for these services, that you would pray specifically for this time, that the Holy Spirit would be clearly involved with the teaching. You can pray for me. My goal is always to walk away at the end of uh, teaching time, having the text that we went through, clearly that was taught, not something else, um, something maybe that would be of my thinking, and uh, there's work that goes into that, but there's also work on the listener's part. Many of you know that. And I appreciate you doing your job to pay attention and to listen for what God has for you. Let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I would fall short at thinking of the number of wives and husbands that have called out to you in prayer for help. Oftentimes, God, folks get to what we would call the end of their rope, They've done everything they can do humanly. Many people here know that's a beautiful place that gets us to the point where we have to rely on you. We thank you, God, that you have given us marriage. And we thank you, God, that you've given us your word and the instruction. We ask, God, that you would bless this time, clearly be involved in our midst. and I pray these things in your son Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a letter today that I'm going to read and the letter is a bit somber but I'm hoping it will catch the attention of uh, many guys that are here today as that will take us right to our text for this morning. This letter written by a wife, the kids are in bed and there's nothing good on TV tonight so I asked my husband can we turn the television off, he grunts. As I walk to the TV, my mind is racing. Maybe, just maybe tonight, we'll talk. Maybe we can have a conversation that consists of my asking him about his day and more than just a mumbled one-word answer, or more often, no answer at all. I live in a world, she writes, of constant noise, but between him and me, I find only silence. Please, God, let him open up to me. I initiate for the thousandth time. My heart pounds. How can I word it so that he will give me time to talk? It doesn't have to be deep and meaningful, just something. As I begin to open my mouth, he gets up and goes to the bedroom. The door closes behind him, and the light shining under the door, under the door gives way to darkness. And so does my hope. I sit on the couch alone. My heart begins to ache. I'm tired of being alone. I've been married for years. Why do I sit alone? Unfortunately, there are many that understand that loneliness. There are marriages that have gotten to the place where couples do not communicate. And there are many wives that have sat in a position like this of discouragement, knowing that she needs to be in this marriage that she's made a commitment to, but not knowing how to solve these problems. As I mentioned in my prayer, I think oftentimes God allows us to get to the end of what we can do. I've got nothing left. I've got no more answers. I've got no more tips that I read in a book somewhere. And God allows us get to the point to get to the point where we have to depend on Him. So where can we look for answers to such problems? I'd ask you to take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians five. If you're with us and don't have a Bible, please use one of the Bibles that's in the pew rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible for yourself, please take that Bible and keep, keep it as a gift from us, to you. We want everybody to have access to a Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. Last time we looked at verses 22 and 23 and 24 where the wife is instructed by God to submit to her husband. And just for review, you'll remember that for a wife to be obedient in this way, to submit to her husband, it has nothing to do with being more valuable, one person more valuable than the other. It has nothing to do with one individual being more favored by God. We don't find that anywhere through the scriptures. But it simply is a matter of roles. What role does the husband play and what role does the wife play? God has given an order that is set up for the home. That, That topic last week that we talked about, wives submitting to their husbands, that can act as a lightning rod. I mentioned that. But let me just say this. It would not be near as touchy. It wouldn't be near as difficult for us to talk about if there were men that were not dropping the ball when it comes to stepping up to being a godly leader in the home. When we look at the scriptures, and we've already gone through starting with chapter one of Ephesians, it is no accident that God has already given incredible instruction, even here in chapter five, about being led by the Holy Spirit. I have said that marriage, apart from the involvement of God, is the biggest gamble that a couple can take in this world, and if you're going to have success If you're going to get over those mountains that come in every marriage relationship, you're going to need what we talked about earlier, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because you're not always going to have the answers. And so there's no accident that God has given us clear instruction on that. A couple rules for a marriage. They're very simple. We talked last week about the rule for the wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then this week, husbands, love your wives. We need godly men. Godly men that are going to lead in the home. They will lead their wives. They will be the spiritual leader in their marriages, a leader in every way in their marriages. They will lead their children. They will lead society. And for men to step up to this is a big call today. We live in a unique day. I referenced that Me Too movement and how it's going to be a time for women to step up in different roles of leadership because men have abused that maybe leverage they had. And we grimace at that, don't we? Don't we just kind of act in disgust when we see these men that have some kind of leverage and they use it in a wicked way? And if we look at God's word as the mirror that it is, oftentimes we see ourselves And guys, I would suggest to you today that you use God's word as a mirror. How are you doing? And it's not to beat us up at all. It's to encourage us. My experience is is oftentimes we get reminded of something and we do well for a while and then we kind of slack off and we need another reminder. That's what this is going to be today for many of us. There are too many men that work hard at advancing in the workplace. you figured it out. I know how to get the next promotion. I know what training I need. I know how to work with these employees and get ahead. And they're advancing in the workplace. And too many men are are very active in their activities, the extracurricular things. They've figured out how to get enjoyment for that. And yet when they walk through the door of their home, they're passive. They've allowed the baton of leadership to be passed to their wife. And men, that must not be. In this chapter, we get to the heart of the kind of man that God wants us to be. And men, we need to get a grip on the responsibility that we have for the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of our wife and of our family. So the moral leadership in the home is yours, men the spiritual leadership. And I'm not saying I don't want you to have a godly wife that doesn't teach the Bible to your children. But if your kids are only seeing their mom as a spiritual person, then it is going to affect them in a way that you don't want. Don't pray that your wife is so spiritual that you don't have to step up as a spiritual leader. That's not what God has given us to do. Men, you need to step up for the emotional and physical security in your home, your job as a husband is to make sure that your family, your wife, feels secure and their emotional needs are met. This past week, we had a wonderful blessing of having family in town. I am one of four. My wife is one of four, and all of her siblings and their spouses and all the kids were all in town this past week. The oldest is sixteen years old. And there's two two-year-olds, and there's a whole bunch in between. Now, we were um, at family's house in Davison one night. We were done for the evening, and I was walking from the car. I was taking something to the car, walking back up to the house and almost to the garage, and I heard my wife's voice shouting. She was screaming. It was a specific tone. You learn those tones, don't you? She was shouting my name in a very specific tone. I'm not going to try to repeat it because I appreciate you too much to do that with a microphone on. She was screaming in a panic and I knew something was going on so I went and ran inside and one of her brothers from out of state was physically getting on top. I don't know if it was on her shoulders or something like that and he was going after her. I'm not sure who who initiated it. I don't know. But I know what I did. I ran. I heard that voice. I went and jumped between my wife and her brother and he was trying to get around me. Now, I wasn't the strongest person in the house that she could call. I can admit that, okay? But she called my name. Why would she call out my name when she was in a point where she needed some protection? Because she understands that's my job. She understands that she needed to call out me and I would have to run. Guys, who does your wife call to when she needs protection? The husband. Yeah. I hope it is the husband. I hope it's you. I hope she's not calling daddy. I hope she's not calling for somebody else, calling for her best friend. I hope she's not going to a plan B to figure out how else she can make herself be able to get through life instead of by calling on you. For the man to be the leader in the home is not something mystical, okay? There are some things that we talk about in the Christian world, and they're kind of mystical. What does that mean to be a leader in the home? It's not subjective. Instead, it is very, very practical. To begin with, let me give us a couple of points here. It is good to constantly remind ourselves of two, key, two keys to a successful marriage. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you two things that are extremely important to have a successful marriage. Number one, God expects those who get married to obey the instruction he has given them. This is why I say it's a gamble apart from God. He needs to be involved in your marriage, and the instruction that God has given us is found in these 66 chapters of the Bible. And he expects you, if you want to have a good marriage, to follow the instruction that he has given. Also, God expects those who get married to take very seriously the vow that they have made. The vow that they have made. And please don't think that I don't understand that for someone to keep this vow, they might get to the place where they are saying, I don't want to keep this vow but I've made the vow. And for the child of God, they might just say, okay, God, your grace is sufficient for me, so I'll keep it. You will help me, even though I don't see it happening. I don't see any um, light at the end of the tunnel. I will keep this. Sometimes God's grace is what we hold on to. You see, anybody can keep a promise when it's easy. Right? I mean, when you stand up, and you make a promise, and then everything is simple and catered towards you, and it's easy. Well, who can't keep that promise? Anybody can keep that. The commitment comes in when it gets hard. When you get to a place where you don't know what to do, or where you have to make the hard decision to forgive for the 490th time, you forgive. Anybody can do it when it's easy. And God has given us a wonderful Old Testament book, the book of Hosea. And we're not gonna turn there and read from that, but if you're looking for some outside study, if you're looking for what it means when God says you need to love and you need to love unconditionally, you need to love as I have commanded you, you need to love, as we'll see here in a moment, as Christ loved the church, you can go back and read the book of Hosea where we have Hosea, and his wife Gomer, and how she is unfaithful to him, and she leaves him, and God's command is go and take her back. Go and purchase her out of the sex slave industry. Take her back again, and she did not deserve it. But God gives us that wonderful, beautiful picture, and it's when you keep your covenant and when you forgive, this is pouring in you're pouring into this relationship. You know, some individuals get to a point in their marriage where they think, well, I, I probably couldn't get anybody else, so I might as well stay in this relationship. Well, that's not the reason to stick with a relationship. Although I get it. Guys, we develop the pot bellies, right? All of the beauty fades. The Bible tells us that. So we see that. But don't let that be the reason, Understand that God calls you to do something and understand that God's grace will be sufficient for you to forgive. It is no accident that just prior to this we were talking about forgiving. Look at the last verse in, in chapter four. Verse 32 of chapter four says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so if you're keeping track of how many times you have to forgive, that's the comparison. And let me just be honest. You're going to have all kinds of people, people that you love, people that go to church, that might give you some lousy counsel. I've heard it. I've heard this guy say to this guy here, no guy's got to put up with that. Cut and run. And I cringe when I hear that. They've changed. The beautiful picture of how Christ loved the church that we can't always understand when we come into marriage is this. When you got saved, Christ knew you were going to be messy, okay? God knew you. He knew you got saved. There's going to be a change in you. But he knew that after that salvation, you're still going to sin. You're going to be messy, he knows all things. He can see down the road. Now when uh, a, a couple, a groom and a bride get together at the wedding, they see each other. Usually we've kind of got our, our best face on, right? Maybe somebody's walked in the sun for a little while to get some color on their face. and Maybe we've exercised a little bit, eaten some more salads before that day. We bring our best. And we as men and women are limited that we can't see down the road. And it might sound something like this, I never signed up for this. So to hold on to that covenant and to move forward with what I can control. I can't control my spouse, but I can control myself obeying God. And when we keep that covenant and when we forgive, it is in those moments that we will cement the work that comes into it. You spend 20 years working on a spouse to get them to that place. Who wants to start over? Take advantage of that. Use that. And it's when you both stand on the receiving end of forgiveness. It's when you look at your spouse and you say, I know I don't deserve for you to forgive me, but you still do. That's something that God can do in a relationship. All right, I'm going to read verses 25 through 30 of Ephesians 5, where it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so husbands, we are commanded here to love our wives, We are not not allowed to love our wives, mingling it with bitterness. We do not love them with a love that is mingled with regret or disappointment. The key word that we find here is the word love. We find it six times in, in verses 25 through the end of the chapter the word love. And when we see this word, we don't have to spend countless hours trying to figure out what love is go to the radio and try to find out what is love. Well, I heard a song. I'm pretty sure it's deeper than the ocean and higher than the mountain and longer than the song of a whippoorwill, you know. Somebody's got something to say about love. We don't have to go to the radio or to the best thoughts you can bring up or even to those feelings when you were dating. I think we used that word Twitterpated last week. That feeling, is that what love is? because that can fade. It sure can. It's nice when it doesn't, and it's nice when it's still there and people are still trying to you know, light that fire, but we don't always have that feeling. But we don't have to spend countless hours trying to figure it out. Paul tells us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And so it is a picture of Jesus Christ who, and here's a key word for you if you're taking notes, he sacrificed himself. You see, Christ sacrificed himself for the church. Now, some of you are familiar with the sport of baseball. Um, I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I know a little, bit, a little bit about it. And every once in a while in a baseball game, there will be a batter that will come up. And when a batter gets up there, it's nice to see the routine. Oftentimes, they're wondering what kind of a hit they're going to get. Every now and then, a batter will come up with the idea that he is going to get out. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes a coach will tell a batter, hey, we've got a base runner that we want to advance to scoring position, to second or third base, and so I want you to go up and I want you to lay down a sacrifice bunt. And now when you bunt the ball, you're not always automatically out, but there's a good chance, unless you're really fast, unless you're really good at putting that ball exactly where you want it, just in front of you, that you're going to get thrown out at first base. A sacrifice bunt. Now what's going to happen if that batter's going up? He's got the instruction from his coach. We need, in order to advance the runner, in order for us to score a run to win the game, we need you to sacrifice yourself. Well, what happens if that guy's contract is up that year? He's looking at his own individual numbers, his batting average, and he says, you know what, I'm not going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to do what I can to get on base. I hit one out of every three. I get on base every third time. Maybe I'll get on base, and that would be even better than to get out on purpose. What happens when the individual puts their own wants and needs ahead of the group? Well, things go bad. If that batter will not listen to his coach, things will go wrong. And in the marriage relationship, when you start looking at yourself instead of at your partner, things go wrong. They fall apart. I don't want you to turn there, but you can write it down and come back to it later this afternoon. First Peter 3 gives instruction for how men are to love their wives. Men, you are to love your wives in an understanding way. Understanding. And maybe you get a lot of it just because you're that bright. But what I have learned is it's work. It's work to have an understanding. And time helps. And going through seasons of life, that will help. And listening, that will help. But you need to understand your spouse's needs. Not what you think they need, what they need. You need to understand their frustrations. You need to know their weaknesses and not be afraid to know their weaknesses and even to talk about that. That's how you love your spouse. You will talk about their weaknesses because you don't want to leave them in a place where they are captive to their weaknesses. Also, you need to understand their strengths. We are to love our wives, the Bible says here, as we love our own bodies. Nobody that's in their right mind allows pain and damage to their body to continue. We stop, right? Put your hand under some hot water, it hurts, you pull it back. You don't allow yourself to continue to be damaged in some way. And yet, too many are allowing their spouse to go on being damaged. We are to love our wives as we love our own bodies, it says here. Then let's look in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so when a husband and wife get married, they become one flesh. And this is a reference back to Genesis all the way back in the beginning. We need to remember that God established marriage before sin was in the world. And the two become one flesh. Right after Tina and I were married, we were um, spending time with some other people and it was some friends of mine from the past and one of my friends made this comment to my wife. She said this. She said, you know, Tina and I were friends before you guys got married, is what she said. And there was a tone there that it's gonna continue. We are friends before and we're gonna be friends after. Let me just tell you, that is a nail in the coffin to that friendship. Because this relationship between my wife and myself, we are now one flesh, the Bible says. The primary reference here to one flesh is the sexual union between the husband and the wife. And we see a beautiful teaching in the scriptures of that. Let me just talk to those of you who are not married. There's not much of a better gift than you can give than your virginity to your spouse. How beautiful that is. And don't think that I don't know that people will think you are weird if that's what you do let people know that you're a virgin in the world that we live in if you're getting up in years how beautiful that is to give to your spouse you need to guard that you need to be walking in a way when you can come to the marriage relationship with something that is wonderful Christ example to us is beautiful it tells us how he's going to present us there without spot or wrinkle it's going to be wonderful now very practically, guys, I think this. I think you cannot tell your wives the words, I love you, too many times. You can't do it. You might think you can, but you can't. So let's say you start out your day, you wake up in the morning and you turn over and look at your wife, and there she is laying there in the beginning of the morning, and you say, oh, honey, you're beautiful, I love you. Just like that. Later on in the day, maybe mid-morning, you'll send a text message possibly. Text message, I heart you. Send, let her know you love her. She receives that, I love you too. She might respond back. Maybe at lunchtime you'll get a chance to make a call or maybe even go home and you'll say, Honey, I want to let you know I love you. And that evening, when you're spending time together, maybe winding down, maybe at supper time, you can just say, honey, thanks for making supper. I want to let you know I love you. You can't say it too many times because, guys, I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes you can do that all day long, and when you're getting ready to go to bed at night, your wife will look at you with a question on her face, and she'll ask this question. After you've said that all day long, she'll ask, honey, do you love me just like that? And you say, yes, I love you. Your wife needs that security. And so we have wives submitting to their husbands as God has intended it. Husbands loving their wives. This is God's way for marriage and God's way only works every time. That's why we default to it. Now, when we think about love, and that's really been a key word in our message today, there oftentimes can be different thoughts that we get about love. There are some poets that have given us some great work and words about love. But I think some of the best things that we learn about love come from children. And so I want to go ahead and read for you what some children think about love. They were asked a variety of questions, and I'm going to give a few different questions here and some of their responses because I think it can be helpful. And also make us smile sometimes too. How do we how do people love, how do people in love typically behave? Wendy, age eight, said this. Well, when a person is kissed for the first time, they fall down and don't get up for at least an hour, she said. <laughs> to this question here, why does love happen between certain people? Andrew said, well, one of the people has freckles, and so he finds somebody else who has freckles too. May, age nine, said, nobody is certain how it happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell, and that is why perfume and deodorant are so popular these days. Manuel, age eight, said, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest isn't as painful, is what he said. Here's the question, what do you think falling in love is like? John, age nine, said, it's like an avalanche, and you ought to run for your life. (laughs) How important is a person's looks, was asked. Brian, age seven, said, it isn't always about looks. Look at me, I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anybody to pay attention to me yet. Christine said, Beauty is skin deep, but how rich you are lasts a long time. And then there were some general thoughts about love. David, age eight, said, Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me, he said. (laughs) And suggestions for a surefire way to really fall in love. Del, age six, said, Tell her you own a candy store. And then Camille said, shake your hips and hope for the best, just like that. And so, You know, we laugh at what kids say. We wonder sometimes how they picked up those thoughts and ideas. We learn that we have to approach love with extreme care. It is not just a feeling. All right, what can you do with this? Husbands, you first. Love your wives and decide that you will not develop a plan B. Plan B is something besides God's word. Love your wife, and don't figure it out, whether plan B is something that is drastic or something that is a substitute. Trust God, that's number three there. Number two, forgive your wives in the same manner that Christ continues to forgive you. And if you're growing in your spiritual life, this is gonna be so helpful, because can I just say, men and women, We're gonna fail in our Christian walk, right? You're going to. And you know what God's going to do if you're a child of his? His grace is not only sufficient for when you go through those times, but his forgiveness is, is, is immense. God will forgive you. And so you see God forgiving you and you will never out-forgive him. So you need to forgive your wife in the same manner Christ forgave you. And then number three, trust God and trust his word. Trust God. Have God at the center of your relationship, and then trust his word. And you have to know his word to do that. Okay, wives, this is gonna look similar. Submit to your husbands and decide that you will not develop a plan B. It does not mean that you are less... And as I said last week, we are all very different individuals and you have yourself who's very unique and this one is very unique. You come into a relationship and that's a very unique relationship. You'll need to figure it out. You're gonna need God's word to know what he has said. You're gonna need the leading of the Holy Spirit and then forgive your husbands in the same manner that Christ continues to forgive you and then trust God and trust God's word. You see, a good marriage, that's what couples want. They want a good marriage. But I want to let you know that can't be accomplished in a week. Now, you can get started. You can get started today and this week. A husband and a wife, that relationship needs to be nourished over the long haul both partners working with an equal commitment. If I can just close with this, this illustration, like a jigsaw puzzle. When you put together a jigsaw puzzle, maybe some of you like those, some of you like some hard jigsaw puzzles, I know. When you put together a jigsaw puzzle, what you're going to do is you're going to have the puzzle pieces all laid out, you're trying to get the picture that you want it to look like, and you're going to refer all the time to the box. To the picture on the box the box. We need to be constantly looking into God's word and then we take one piece at a time or can I say we take one day at a time and we do our best to make it fit into completing the picture that God wants a couple to be. We live in a day where marriage is under attack and I know many, many people have been through very hurtful situations I know many of you have been hurt. I want to encourage us as a church family to step up and be faithful in whatever role God has called us to. What has God called you to today? Will you do your part? Will you pray for this community? Let's bow for prayer. (coughs) Heavenly Father, when we look to you, we look at the things that you have made and things that you have made that are good. We know that you have given us marriage. I thank you for that, God. And I would pray, even during this moment, for the couples that are there, maybe younger couples, newly married couples, those that are approaching marriage, that they would take this with all seriousness. And they would understand that the devil loves to attack the institution of marriage. And there's gonna be so much advice out there that would not line up with your word, and would you give discernment, would you allow them to know your word, to be led by the Spirit? God, I thank you, even as we have a couple here in the church that's approaching 50 years, the 50-year anniversary celebration. What a blessing. What a wonderful, wonderful example. And God, I would ask that you would allow each of us to take a look at what we can do God, you know that ultimately I can only control myself. I can't control my spouse. I can't control someone else. I can't make others do what I want them to do. No matter how good I think this world would be, I can only control myself. And so, God, I would ask that you would allow individuals just to look into your word and to look at where you have them today and to stand in that place where you have them, where you want them to be. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna to play through a stanza on the piano. As she plays through, this is a chance for you to pray. I know this has been very pointed today towards husbands, married couples, and there are many that are not married that are with us. But perhaps God's been speaking to you about something. We'll give you a chance to pray. Husbands, take an opportunity to pray. And if you're here today, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, this is an opportunity to do that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And even during this moment, if you've never done it before, you can say, God, forgive me a sinner and make me your child and he will forgive you. While the piano praise we'll give everybody a chance to talk to God.